Hey, Zach. Hey, Steven. You like pancakes, Zach? Yeah, I like pancakes. Well, then you should come down to Madison, where my hidden treasure this week is the blind special at Short Stack Eatery. I guess it's down. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely lower in latitude than you are right now. Yeah, yeah, okay. So so when I come down to Madison and get the blind special, what will I be getting? You don't know. It's the blind special. Oh. It changes every day. Okay, yeah. Um, Short Stack Eatery. It's a breakfast place. It's awesome. Uh, all the food's really good, but especially the blind special because it is, if I recall, $7.25 for a mystery dish. It's usually mm. pancakes, but not always. And it's always delicious. For example, this past weekend, I got, I ordered it and got a graham cracker flavored pancake or a, a stack of graham cracker flavored pancakes with blueberry sauce, uh, strawberry sauce, marshmallow fluff, and bourbon butter. Ooh. Ooh. It was so much sugar and it was fantastic. That sounds good. It really was. The bourbon butter was uh Icing on the cake is not a good metaphor because it's just more food. Things things emulsified into butter is one of my favorite. <laughs> I did like vanilla. I had a, uh, like vanilla honey butter one time Ooh, on I, a steak. That sounds real. What on a steak? It was, yeah, it was stupendous. That sounds awesome. Okay, I need to learn how to turn things into butter now. <laughs> I feel like the the blind special also like you know you hear that um, every choice you make it takes a little bit of energy to make that choice. So if you can consistently just go into the, the short stack eatery and just give your, give your trust to the chef, uh, then you have one less choice you have to make. Correct. We're saving the energy of the world. This is how we solve the energy crisis, people. We just <laughs> never make decisions. <laughs> What's your hidden treasure this week, Zach? Uh, so my hidden treasure is the Valby Philips Museum. <laughs> Which is, uh, it's an open air museum that's very close to me, actually. It's on my way to school and back from school, because it's the same way. Uh, <laughs> you don't go uphill both ways? Your dad did. <laughs> I could, actually. There are two pretty good ways to get into school. <laughs> but I guess they're both downhill, because they're both getting closer to the lake, so that doesn't... But I have to go over a bridge one way, and then it's just straight up a hill the other way. Any, anyways, um, so I had been passing by it and I figured if it's this open air museum, it's probably not going to be open in the middle of winter because what are people going to do at an open air museum when it's negative eight degrees Celsius? Ah, I think it's worse. Negative eight in Fahrenheit. Yeah. Wait, <laughs> no, that doesn't. Oh yeah. I guess I don't really know how that works. I'm not good at temperatures. <laughs> Fahrenheit's a better system for ambient air temperatures. Yeah, I guess. That's my opinion. Mm. That's not a fact. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then one day as I was biking past it, I saw a couple people walking in and a couple people walking out. So I figured uh, next time I had some free time, I would go check it out. And I went to check it out. And literally every day from 10 to 5, it's just open. And you can just walk in. Gates are open. And they've got um, horses and ponies and rabbits and pigs there were some sheep. There were uh, some Swedish cows. It's a, it's and a then, museum? 
Yeah, so it's an open air museum. So the idea is you can kind of see how things were oh, back in old okay. Sweden. I see. Um, so they also, along with that, they have the old, like the one room schoolhouse that they had, and the um, they just have one a of them for all of Sweden <laughs> uh, theater that just like people in the community came together to build. There was a sawmill that had been picked up and moved to somewhere where there was never going to be a water running past the water wheel again and uh they had a soldier's house now like a soldier's it was a soldier's house because they didn't have barracks it was just a house for the soldier to live in with his family that's one of the things you get as a soldier Hmm. in i don't know 1900 sweden and along with that they had the fact that sweden hasn't been at war since 1814 that's good So basically, every soldier here is just like the Army Corps of Engineers, Hmm. because they all just build roads and stuff. Cool. Uh, Speaking of one-room schoolhouses, I recently took an exam. That exam was only in one room, uh, my room, because (laughs) it was a take-home exam, open note. You just had to, you know, format it as a PDF and email it back to him. Real fantastic, except he gave us seven hours to do it, and I think the the chain of thought was, well, they have seven hours to do it, so I might as well give them seven hours worth of questions. Oh. So, on Tuesday, I took a seven-hour exam. And you're still alive to tell the story. Yeah, I am still alive. I, I, it was It was just not fun. It was for my, my AI class, so I'm done with that now hands washed of it (laughs) but and the professor who was teaching it um he is not from sweden originally or from anywhere that speaks english regularly originally he's from spain and uh so his exams were not always fluent english Uh, that's it's making a seven hour exam a lot harder i imagine yeah um, I did get like the most annoying and twisted question right, and apparently he intended to make it that twisted, but I, uh, it was just weird. It was like, well, so if you were to use a ant colony optimizer for a neural network, what would the crossover operation be? There are some problems with that. To start with, you can't use an ant colony optimizer for a neural network. That's just like they're solving two different problems. There's also that you can't use crossover operations with either a neural network or an (laughs) ant colony optimization. So I stared at the question, and then because it's open note, I texted my friends who were in the class, and they said, yeah, I'm just kind of bullshitting an answer. And so I I was running out of time, and that was the last question that I had left to do. So I said, well, this question seems weird to me because I don't think you can use an ant colony optimizer for <laughs> neural networks. And even if you could, they don't have crossover operators. And then I went in to talk to him about a different assignment. And he said, hey, you emailed me about that before. What What did you end up saying? And so he pulled up my exam and read it through. And he was like, yeah, okay. That's about the answer I was looking for. <laughs> the, he was looking for, this is a trick question. You're a jerk. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and so I did. I, I, I sent him the question on that right in the beginning because he said he would only be available for the first hour to answer questions. And then I got to another question that I couldn't quite understand. And I sent him an email and said, hey, I get that you might not be online, but 
what gives with this question? Is this what it actually means? Mm-hmm. And then I signed it. Sorry if the tone in this email isn't great. I'm a little stressed out about one of my exams right now. <laughs> so that was my seven-hour exam. <laughs> so uh, all that stress. Yeah. You, you need to vent that. Right. So, or I just did. Yeah. Uh, but another option for that is <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, to your journal. Yep. Did you end up journaling about it? I have not been journaling at all the last two weeks, Stephen. That's not how you're supposed to journal, Zach. You are correct. Fair enough. Uh, well, I have been journaling. It's been good. It's part of the year of effort is to journal every de- every night and more than that if I feel like it. Mm-hmm. And I'm usually very happy to throw most things away yeah just in general i find joy in having less stuff because i tend to see it as one less thing i have to worry about or keep track of or pay attention to and especially like a school notebook it's a one use item yeah and you have gotten the one use out of it which is fill it with writing Mm -hmm. and now you can toss it out so but i i i see where you're coming from with a journal that it's when you're writing it in a way you're kind of thinking that it's for posterity and uh when you want to go back through the years or whatever mm-hmm. you would want to reference it yeah and so up until recently at least i was totally fine with throwing away my journals notes uh anything i write, write down on paper my mm-hmm. computer is a different story i do like to save things on my computer just because if I just stick it on an external hard drive in a folder, it doesn't feel like it's something I have to keep track of. Right. It's a different kind of... I don't get a lot of joy out of putting things in the recycle bin on my laptop. It's just not mm-hmm. the same. I changed my mind about the journals, though, when I was listening to the Pen Attic podcast, and they were having a discussion about it, and I think the first time they talked about it they concluded that you should throw away your journals and then the second time they concluded that you should keep them and they're (laughs) they're going back and forth now uh just different people are writing in giving different perspectives yeah so if if you were to write in right now what's your perspective see this is what i'm struggling with i am trying to formulate an opinion about it gotcha and it so it's an ongoing discussion in the pen addict so i can't quite remember all the points as well because it's mm-hmm. all in different episodes, and I don't feel like having to go listen back and make a pros and cons and stuff. <laughs> uh, but the general sense I get when I think about throwing away my journal is like a twinge of the human nature kind of need for an immortality project. Like, as humans, we know that we're going to die at some point. Mm-hmm. And we're mostly pretty cool with that, especially if we have, like our name on the cover of a book or uh you know a project of some sort that will live on past us Mm -hmm. and it's that feeling i get when i think about my journals now do i think that my journals will be turned into a biography no i don't (laughs) it'd be awesome please do that if you have the time but (laughs) and just access to his journals just statistically like people who there's a very small amount of people who get biographies written about them yeah <laughs> this this is correct um so for now i'm keeping my journals there's a pretty good chance that i'm going to change my mind and end up throwing them away later but for now i'm saving all of them uh i'm also saving all my notebooks for school and stuff mm-hmm. that one i don't it's it's different i think it's uh more of like a what if i need this which is not the correct thinking 
because I I won't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. Uh, but in my brain, the journals and the notes from class are lumped together. Interesting. I feel like notebook. It might be nice to build like a two-page cheat sheet and just go through the notebook and things that aren't specific worked examples that are like vocabulary words and that kind of thing. Mm. Because just like no one's going to take the time to read through all of your journals and listen through all of the podcasts and and build the biography of Stephen Barry, probably. <laughs> Stephen Barry is not going to go back through all of his notebooks and read himself ranting about what the professor is saying and how tired he is and how much he would like a coffee. And also, here's how to do problem five. <laughs> Okay, so I just had a thought. On my death, I'm going to put in my will that my that exactly 50% of whatever money I have, whatever estate I have, will mm-hmm. go to any next of kin. And okay. the other 50% will go to Amazon and get put into hosting an S3 bucket. <laughs> and the podcast will live on for... Depends on how, mm-hmm. how many podcast episodes we make. But yeah, at this rate, probably a few decades... I think it might be better to, like, bequeath it to the the people who do the Wayback Machine, mm, mm-hmm. the Internet Archive, on the condition that they come up with some way to maintain old, long-running podcasts. <laughs> this is my contribution to society. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. But your journals. What do For now, what they're do you being think? kept... How are you keeping them? This this, this is all that I thought the issue was, was what do I do? Do I just put them in a pile or? Uh, Well, right now I have, I'm binder clipping notebooks together. Okay. And using larger and larger binder clips as I need them. (laughs) Uh, Eventually I will run out of binder clips and have to make a, a stack. What kind of notebooks are you journaling in? Well, okay. So here's my current journaling system. It's not something I was going to get into, but we're going to do it now. Uh, I gotta know. So I have my pocket notebook, which is currently a uh, Rhodia N12. It's a Mm -hmm. little field note style, but like notepad. So you flip up the top. It's like a legal pad. Yeah. And I rip out the page every day. And then that goes into a binder clip. And I use this for a bullet journal-like system. It's not bullet journaling, but it has the same idea. Um, Mm -hmm. What needs to get done today. And this is in addition to my OmniFocus, which is basically where I pull this list from. Yeah. it's It sounds like everybody builds something like that. Usually on the days when I have a lot to do, I have one size up from yours and I write down yeah. things I need to do and things I keep thinking of that are distracting me. So yeah, but that's not like a journal journal. That's not like my thoughts and feelings. Mm-hmm. Uh, for that, I have a... I put it over here. Um I'm also packing for spring break, so I have no idea where anything is. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, I have a Rhodia four color that only has two colors left because I used to not <laughs> use it for journaling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been using that. Eventually, it's going to run out of pages. It's coming up on it. After that, I'll probably just use another Rhodia legal pad style notebook and rip out the pages. Can I recommend that instead you use... It's not by me, but whatever. Uh, Leuchterm 1917 notebook because it's not spiral bound and why are you journaling in a spiral bound notebook steven because it's what i had laying around and i wasn't but you said that's what you would do next no i was going to use a legal pad style next oh that doesn't sound any better to me 
It does to me, because then I can organize it however I want. Okay. I also hate composition notebooks. I cannot stand the, like, having to press it down and try to write it without, write on it without it, like, flipping back over and crushing your hand with its immense, uh, trying to be closed power. Give me a second to go grab my term because I don't think it has those problems. <laughs> I'm exaggerating, but it's how I feel. Zach is holding up a notebook. Okay, so here we are. I've got the notebook. It's got a nice little elastic band. It's got a bookmark to save your place. And if you, even just holding it up vertically, okay, it yeah. stays flat. That's better. That's better than the cheap uh, Staples composition notebooks. Yeah. And it's like a I nice binding, like, nice cover. I don't cover. need a, like, a cover. I don't need a, like, a soft cover thing for it. I just need a... I don't know. It's... I think if you plan on saving it, you should get a Lightcharm. term Because Lightcharm also make uh, bigger containers to hold all of your Lightcharms, like, for a okay, decade that's pretty in. cool. But, like, there are many ways to store paper. Yeah. I, I don't need, like, a fancy notebook. I just need some paper. I, what are your arguments for why I should use that notebook? You just said I should use the notebook. Mostly it just feels nicer to write in. I understand what you're saying, though, about having more space to kind of construct a system. I really just free write for a page. And for me, it's a good page length. Oh, and no. I, I totally just free write, too. I just whatever is on my mind. And the only thing I have for structure is writing down my workout for that day so I can track mm -hmm. improvements. But I guess what I'm saying is that there's not a reason for me to spend uh, a nickel extra on a later term with a cover on it with like a in a book style when mm -hmm. I can just keep the paper as it is and like I don't need I don't need to have that specific journal on me to journal I can just write down something on paper and then put it in the stack later okay you're not convincing me. I would never no, do that, but... I don't think you need to, but I, I just am not mm -hmm. hearing a compelling argument for why I should spend more money on paper. Because <laughs> it's nice paper, Steven. Same reason you would spend more money on ink. Speaking of which, what's the point in your life? What's, like, the bar for when you start writing with, like, intentionally long-lasting ink? Oh, I see. Um, like, I know that, that now that someone... 200 years from now is going to be flipping through pages in the archive reading my stapled together leaflets and i want to make sure that they can read it still it's a good question um i think the hmm. i don't think i will i think even if i become famous enough to warrant something like that i think that one of two things will happen either someone in the uh, near, not near, but the opposite of distant. Not the distant future, but the close to now future. The near future. Yeah, yeah. it's that's not right, is it? Near future. I, I suppose. Don't, I don't know what kind of thing you're okay. trying to convey. Uh, if I like from today, what okay. is the so if I range become, of time you're thinking? It's not from a. Uh, it's not a from today. It's a from Stephen is dead. Okay, so okay, so uh, briefly uh, post mortem. Yeah. Shortly after my death, if I have enough, if I am 
well known enough for someone to want to read my journals 200 years from now, mm-hmm. or from when I died even, they there will be someone who cares enough to preserve the leaflets either by actually preserving them or by copying them into a digital system. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, and if I don't get that famous, then I'd rather have fun writing with nice ink than mm-hmm. slightly less fun writing with long-lasting ink. I'm not sure about how long. I'm not sure. I've never tried long-lasting ink, but I have to assume it has. it is not as much fun to write with because otherwise we would just use long-lasting ink by default. I think it's more expensive, probably. That too, yeah. All right, compelling case. Uh, oh, uh, I'm actually not done with the number of journals I have. I, w- I went through, I was going through my journaling system. <laughs> okay, so I yeah, have, and I stopped you because I couldn't understand the, the daily journal in a spiral book. It's, yeah, I, I just wasn't sure I, I was going to continue it, so I wasn't going to buy a mm-hmm. nice notebook. And then I decided that I don't need a nice no- notebook. And then I have my uh, messenger bag notebook. Which is okay, the yeah, your field notes, extra signature. large field notes, mm-hmm. and I think they at some point they will stop selling those. Mm-hmm. It is a limited edition. I'm not sure how long they typically last. Yeah, but they aren't forever. Yeah, so eventually I'll find it an alternative to that because I do like it. It's later term makes pocket sized notebooks. It, it's, it has to be bigger than pocket <laughs> size though, because I don't like journaling on something that can fit in my back pocket it's not an enjoyable experience because i can write like three words before having to go to the next line notebook size so something slightly larger than a pocket-sized notebook to fit in my messenger bag in the one pocket in my messenger bag that i like to keep it in that way if i have a thought that is not part of my daily journal and if i'm just out and about i can Mm -hmm. take out my non-daily journal and journal in the non-daily journal which i think is where evernote usually fits for me into my system Mm -hmm. i have completely abandoned i have managed to i should say completely abandon OneNote, evernote and uh apple notes and go either paper or omnifocus for remembering things huh so all your class notes are all my class notes are are paper um and it's working well actually no i should backtrack um i do have one digital notebook but it is a very large markdown file for my computer science class i really like uh taking notes and markdown it's fun Mm -hmm. yeah it's i've gotten so used to it that now when i'm texting and stuff i'll (laughs) use like markdown emphasis and okay i'm think i'm done all right I don't know. I don't know. I haven't even thought about what I would do with my old journals. Uh, what would you do right now if you didn't have any more pages in your current notebook? Definitely right now I would save it. And I don't know. I haven't been able to find any good stationary stores in the area. Hmm. So I don't know what I'd do about getting a new one. But I would save it and bring it home to at least make that decision there. Okay. Uh, one of the things that was mentioned on the Pen Addict as a potential solution for this is mm-hmm. to have two journals, one for the bad venting stuff, the mm-hmm. bad thoughts that you need to get out, and one for the good things that happened in your day. The, and you can just toss the stressful one when you're done with it. So and, like an angel, sh- angel devil. Yeah. And to... then if like your grandkids want to read what life was like in 2017, 
they could read all the great things that you do in a day and not all the crazy awful thoughts that you have throughout the day. Yeah, I don't think I would want my grandkids to read my current journal. I want them to know the truth. (laughs) (laughs) Zach just made the best uh, range of facial expressions. That's the range of facial expressions for hold on a second, I'm coming over the transition. I know. That's the funny thing. I could <laughs> I could tell exactly what you meant by that. You, uh, you did hold up a finger, but I did not need that finger. I could just tell by your face that you were thinking of a transition. So when my grandchildren do read through that angel notebook that I have saved, I want them to be astonished at uh, the way that we think about bikes in America in, in 27, 2018. That's the year right now, 2018. What? Do you think bikes will have uh, massive leaps and bounds of innovation between your uh, in two generations? I don't think they need to have innovation necessarily. I think that uh, some structures around them need to have innovation. And just generally the mentality around them needs to shift. Um, one of the cultural differences that is definitely uh, present between the U.S. and especially this Scandinavian area of Europe, Sweden and Finland and the Netherlands definitely... Um, is they don't see biking the way that we do in the U.S. The way people think about biking in the U.S. a lot of times is either as a child's plaything. Okay. Oh, won't you two kids go get on your bikes and tool around for a little bit? Or as a rich white dude sport for Lance Armstrong. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say exercise, but I guess sport works too. But a lot of places here consider it a utility and just a method of transportation right and i think that that tide is turning in the u.s there are more cities with bike infrastructure with bike paths and stuff but um that if you can't tell this is not where i was expecting this segment to go so i've got to restructure the whole (laughs) thing to but that difference in the way that we think about bikes um has led to a difference in the way that we even lock our bikes Uh, So one of the things that I noticed here in Sweden is everybody uses frame locks or O-locks or ring locks, I think they're also called, which just screw onto the frame of the bike and then a little slider comes down and puts a bar in between two of the spokes of your rear tire. Okay, so it's not locked to anything, it's locked so that the bike is unusable. Right. And and you could still pick it up and walk away with it. Um, but a lot of times here, that's not a problem because there's either there's like actual bike parking in the buildings. Mm-hmm. Uh, like a lot of people here use frame locks because there is a little bike parking section of the apartment uh, or it's in the middle of downtown. And if somebody walks up and just picks up a bike, somebody around them will say, hey, that's not a normal thing for people to do with bicycles. <laughs> Can I at least ask why you're doing that? Yeah. Usually the bike carries you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's true. They aren't attached to anything in particular. But if you are just biking to the grocery store and you want to pick up three things and it's in an area where there are people around, it's fine if... It just defends against people picking up and, you know, if it just defends against people uh, riding it away. Right. Also, some of them come with like add-on chains. So they use the same key, but you just attach this little chain thing and then you can wrap it around a pole 
okay. and stick it in. So then you've got the rear wheel locked and you've also got the frame attached to the chain, which is attached to a pole. So many points of failure. I, I don't like it. <laughs> um, the like general goodness of people is the best defense against uh, theft in general. I think like mm-hmm. this is something I, my dad is a he is in the door hardware business mm-hmm. and from an early age I was taught that doors and locks are not really good at stopping people from opening them if you don't want them to if you have a good enough lock that can't be picked which is not something that most locks are <laughs> If you if you if you have a sophisticated enough lock so that an experienced locksmith can't pick it within thirty seconds, then the door itself is probably weak. If the door is not weak, the frame is weak. If the frame is not weak, the bolt holding the door to the frame is weak. Mm-hmm. And then there's windows and walls and all sorts of ways that people can break into your house. So locking your door is just a gesture of saying, hey, don't take my stuff. Same with locking bicycles. If someone wanted to take your bike, they would take a bolt cutter and cut your bike away from the thing that's attached to. And Most modern bike locks aren't super susceptible. Like, if you're spending more than $15 on your bike lock, it's probably good against a bolt cutter. I guess my point is that you don't need to. Yeah. You... And I I have a... um, The wire ones not the wire it, it's like a a thick metal coil mm-hmm. that it's flexible yeah the the braid metal braid yeah and it's it's fine you know no one's gonna steal it because people are good and the people who aren't good are afraid of getting in trouble over something as petty as a sh- crappy bike mm-hmm. and it, it is a crappy bike the gears barely work i can switch like i have three different gear sets out of the let's see uh i don't know like I guess 15 combinations that I'm supposed to have, I have three. <laughs> and, you know, like... Anyway, I don't know what, really where I was going with that. It's just that people are good, and that's cool. Yeah, and and if you make a gesture to say, hey, don't take my bike, it's a lot more secure even if the gesture is practically nothing. Mm-hmm. It's something, which it's is... It's like quack quack seat back, but for bicycles. <laughs> You leave a sticky note on it saying, hey, don't take this. <laughs> Honestly, if you put a sticker on your bike that said, this bike has a GPS tracker in it, mm-hmm. that would do all, probably do a lot of good. Yeah. No one, I, I doubt anyone would take that bike. It also wouldn't be terribly hard just to actually put a GPS tracker in it. It's easier to make a sticker. Right. <laughs> and also a lot of hassle to track it down. Yeah. Like, what am I going to do? Call the police? No, I'm going to track them down myself, show up to their door, knock <laughs> quietly, and then a little bit harder, and a little bit harder. They're going to open the door. I'm going to say, hi, uh, I have a bike, or I had a bike, <laughs> and now I don't. And the GPS tracker I put in it says it's here. Uh, do, you, do, you, do you know anything about that, sir? And if they're like, yes, here's your bike back, my mistake, I'll be like, thanks, pal. And if they're like, nope, don't know anything about a bike, I guess I'm like... Oh, well, no bike for me. I feel like that's the point when you would want to call the police. I'm not a confrontational person. (laughs) (laughs) No, I will call call the police because that's the rational thing to do. Okay. 
Also, quick quick alert. Uh, do you know what the frame number of your bicycle is? No idea. Okay, because that's something that the police would want to know if you did call them about your bike being stolen. So get that and put it in, I don't know, one of your loose leaf pages floating around a binder clip somewhere. I don't understand your system. Just put it in Evernote, Stephen. That is, I will, if I put it in Evernote, it, it will be gone forever. I, Evernote is not a good way to keep track of things for me now. Where would it go? Honestly, if it was something like that, I'd probably put it in LastPass under a secure note. Okay, that makes sense. That way it's cross-device and stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you were talking about LastPass. It's a good cross-platform password manager, um, and you can use it on your computer and on your phone. It's a utility, you'd say. You can use it for, I don't know, it's not engineered to keep your attention. You can just open up LastPass sure. and get the thing and then close LastPass. Uh, and our phones do a lot of that, uh, like Maps. Maps is, I would generally say, a utility. Um, mm-hmm. Calculator. Calculator, yeah, that kind of stuff. And... It seems like there's a growing contingent of people who want to make their phones back into just the utility devices that they were told they would be at some point. Um, And I feel like maybe you can prove me wrong on this, but I feel like there's been an uptick in, like, you gotta distance yourself from your phone articles. Um, I don't look at the news, especially not tabloid-esque articles like that. Mm -hmm. so i really cannot say either way yeah yeah and i'm not i'm not sure if it's a like an algorithm seeing me click on it once and then showing me a whole bunch more because i or whatever because the algorithm wants me to leave it alone for a little bit so (laughs) please uh please turn your phone monochrome because that's what they all say to do is oh well if you all the colors are hijacking your brain so you gotta Really? I've not heard that one. Yeah, yeah. So that's, um, I think actually part of it is actually substantiated. Like there's evidence behind it in that like your phone, if the notifications were a color that felt less urgent than red, mm-hmm. like they had some cool blues and that kind of thing. And people actually did feel less urgent to go into their phone. Interesting. So, so I tried it. Yeah. How'd it go? It was all right. at this point it was a couple quite a few weeks ago because i I tried it a few weeks ago and and then at some point i wanted to show people some videos that i had made so i turned it off and i turned it back on but then like the the chain was broken i suppose my phone Mm -hmm. had been in color for a bit and then i don't know this isn't a great time to to be like minimizing phone use because phones are great communication tools. Uh, I can send Snapchats with my girlfriend and see her face and how she looks. And if she dyed her eyebrows pink, I can't tell (laughs) if my phone is in monochrome mode. Yeah. See, I would like to do it selectively for certain apps, maybe. Mm -hmm. Like just the discover tab of Instagram (laughs) or... I should just delete Facebook, but I can't delete Facebook yeah. because too much, many things on the university use Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, I I actually found that Instagram didn't change too much because a lot of what I was looking at was already text posts. Oh, I see. And so it didn't even help on the thing that I really knew that I needed help with. <laughs> and Twitter, it's the same thing. Most of Twitter isn't in... Right. 
it's super colors. vibrant color. Mm-hmm. And I, I like I wasn't tracking it or anything, so I don't have any proof. If I were to do it again, I might try and track like start now and see. Yeah, okay. Actually, I I know how I could do that. I could <laughs> at the end of every day just see how much screen use. Oh yeah. Since last your, charge, your phone already does that, and track that, and and then I I also would get rid of some of that like oh well you're observing the thing so you're not mm-hmm. getting accurate readings. Because I would be observing it beforehand, too. So I'm going to try that. I guess I'm committed now. Steven, do you want to try it, too? Not at all. Do you feel like you have uh, an issue you need to distance yourself from your phone? I really don't. Um, my phone does a good enough job of distancing me from it already by being horribly slow sometimes. Ah. I mean, it's a... How old is the phone now? Um, So it is the 6 Plus. So then there was the 6S. And there was the 7 and 8. So it's going on four years old, which ideally would not be old, but it is for a phone. (laughs) Uh, And it's still usable. I'm not, like, saying I'm going to get a new phone because I'm not. And it works fine. But just sometimes it's just like, oh, my God, why is this taking so long? Mm -hmm. Um, I also absolutely despise apps that try to get my attention via... Like? Like... When Facebook tells me about people who shared posts that I don't care about. Mm-hmm. Or when Instagram tells me that someone hasn't posted in a while and they just did. Yeah. Or when Twitter is like, here's what you missed. And so I turn all of that off anyway. And yeah. if they don't allow me to turn it off, I either delete it or turn their notifications off. So I have the opposite problem that most people have, <laughs> I think, <laughs> which is I don't spend enough time looking at what people do on phones and i mm-hmm. miss i miss things that people are talking about but i definitely prefer it to apps grabbing for my attention all the time yeah yeah like you were saying facebook does that a lot and i feel like i miss a lot of events just because i'm not going through facebook probably more than twice a week yeah it's much less than that for me it's whenever i specifically need something from from facebook so maybe a date and even then i mostly go find that date and get out as fast as i can mm-hmm. so living the dream so how do you find the events then that you well, that'll saying? be from like uh, a group chat where the rest of my friends are going to a thing and i would i'd say hey is that thing on this group page on facebook and they're like yeah and then, then mm-hmm. i go and find it I still wish there was some way to do that that wasn't Facebook, but the network effect is so prohibitive, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, it's... What else do I do on my phone? I, I'm trying to think of, like, what else that I use my phone for, and it's mostly, in more and more, it's for communication and utility, and less for wasting time, mm-hmm. which is a good thing in my book. Yeah. Yeah, I, my last couple vestiges are of, of wasting time on my phone are Twitter and Instagram because they can pretend their communication. Oh, well, you know, I got to keep up with people and mm-hmm. keep up with the news. and Not following the news has improved my life dramatically. There's an article. <laughs> I haven't read it yet. <laughs> Zach. What? Whatever you're about to say is hilariously ironic. I can't. I don't know what it is yet, but it's going to be hilariously <laughs> ironic. 
Okay, well, the next thing I was going to say is that I haven't read it yet. I've just seen the headline a couple of places. (laughs) So that adds to the irony. Mm -hmm. All right, well, I, I can't find the information. But basically, it was about, like, this one guy who had taken like he didn't didn't even want to hear the news from other people and that Mm. kind of thing and was it like you'll never guess what happened next i don't know i didn't i didn't read the article like i saw it as a a twitter like rich media card but the there was too long of a time it was like this man from ohio hasn't been reading the news and and then it was a dot 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 because they had a very long title he was pretty much the same as he was before except slightly less i don't know uh personally this is not reading the news is uh it's strangely part of the year of effort because it it with some levels of abstraction so the first being that the year of effort means that i should try to improve my life by doing effort Mm -hmm. which means being less upset by things that i don't have control over Mm mm-hmm and that means caring less about those things. Right. And so, so far this year, I've stopped caring about a lot of things, which is very nice, I must say. <laughs> but it's a lot of work. It's, like, really hard to look at something and go, eh. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's counterintuitive. Like, it should be easy to go, eh, whatever. But, like, your brain wants to be like, ah, go to the extreme. Uh, be outraged or joyful Mm -hmm. or whatever um it's it's surprisingly hard to just go "Eh, that happened all right on what scale of thing um like what was the last thing that you had to look at and consciously be like "Eh." so uh we just had a very long elaborate and cut from the podcast discussion uh and i think the the main takeaway from that is that i have uh, a couple issues that I am still very passionate about, and I am uh, naive enough to think that I can have lasting effect on large policy. <laughs> and Stephen doesn't feel that way about his uh, his issues. And I also think that the issues I have are slowly fading. Mm-hmm. Not that the issues themselves are going away, but the fact that they're mine and they're the things I care about. Back to our last conversation. I am going to try that experiment and see if it does change how I interact with my phone and how much screen time I use. Um, But while I was right in the depths of using a monochrome phone and seeing what, I don't know, seeing how that affected me and worrying about how much... This has really been a whole year thing, honestly. I've been worrying about how much I get sucked into my phone. Um, Yeah, we've been talking about this for a while. Yeah, uh, but now, insert angelicchoir.mp3, <laughs> a solution to all the hullabaloo. It's the light phone. It's got calling, it's got texting, it's got an alarm, it's got music, it's got directions, it's got Uber, I guess. It sounds like you're kind of locked in on that, which is weird, but, you know, what more could you want? A camera? Go buy a DSLR, you millennial. That's my prepared bit. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so the light phone two is a proposed solution to all of these problems that society is facing right now. We all are glued to our phones. It's a huge problem and we, there's no way to solve it except for 
uh, by buying this product. Which is essentially just a smartphone without a fancy display. and just... It's a smartphone with a Kindle display. Yeah. So no Facebook, no Twitter, just whatever Zach said before. Uber, I guess. Yeah, it was a weird, they were like, oh, well, you can do maps and stuff. And also ride hailing, because that's something everyone needs. And I guess they're right, but it's weird that it's only Uber, whatever. Um, the, it's, it's an idea. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it works for someone. And I want to talk a little more about actually the, the marketing, not just acknowledging that this is an idea and a thing. It's, it's an Indiegogo campaign and they are trying to convince you to get their thing. So, um, the, the marketing video that they have is linked in the show notes if you want to check that out. Uh, but mostly it, it, I don't know where I was going with that. Mostly that mostly there was no mostly leastly and mostly it's a video go watch it or just listen to us talk about it and imagine what it would look like <laughs> so what do you think about it zach what what why are we talking about this uh because the idea of it the idea of a technological solution to all of these human problems uh being available and right here is alluring but i've at least gotten to the point where I can recognize that the marketing for it is a little tone deaf, if nothing else. Yeah, uh, it's when I saw the product, it's pretty much exactly what I the marketing video is exactly what I expected it to be. It's like mm-hmm. a happy go lucky. This will change your life. Uh, seven ways to change your life within three minutes kind yeah. of video that like, it, I don't know if. It seems to suggest that your phone is the root cause of all the problems in your life. Yeah. And that's just not true. I, your, your, your addiction to your phone is not the phone's fault. <laughs> that's just how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. I, I think there is some blame to be placed a couple different places, but it's definitely not only on your phone. Yeah. Um... I didn't just flat out did not like it started with a depiction of a couple and they were like laying in bed and then they were kissing, but they both still had their eyes open and they were looking at their phones. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was like a satire on people who it, it's a hype. I guess it was like a hyperbole of mm-hmm. a current phone addiction, which is like you can't even kiss your honey without looking at your phone. Yeah. Which which starts the slide then into the, I think what you were saying that it it's trying to propose this solution that it's a solution to a small problem of many problems, and they say it will solve all of them, <laughs> um, which I, I think is the same kind of weird gross feeling as I get from uh, for a little bit I listened to the minim- minimalist podcast I've heard of it which is these two dudes from Silicon Valley who were big CEO execs and now they're minimalists and they're, I don't know. It it was a very similar feeling. Seven ways to change your life in three minutes. That That's just yeah. the, like, I don't know. I, I usually hold the philosophy that if there was an easy way to change your life for the better, then we would be doing it. <laughs> and that the reason that all the things that seem to make your life better are so hard is because 
you've already done the easy things to make your life better (laughs) yes exactly the like you know being born in 27 or not 2017 you probably weren't born in 2017 if you're listening to this (laughs) being born in the late 1900s yeah uh that you know that was a good easy choice you made uh and now your quality of life is pretty good compared to someone in the 1700s say yeah uh i don't know what to say about this sack it's just mm, i really don't think it's a good idea for someone to get it or for them to market it or both Uh, or for you to get it well definitely for me to get it for people to get it in general i think they're gonna buy it ditch their old phone realize that this thing really can't do the things that they want it to do as well as they want to do it Mm -hmm. and then go running back to apple and samsung and google pixel and say hey i'm still addicted to my phone what gives (laughs) this thing isn't a phone i thought this would cure me of my phone addiction it's not how that works yeah Uh, like like we've been not even dancing around just beating like like beating the dead horse, I guess, much more than dancing around. Um. <laughs> or dancing around the dead horse. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a weird marketing saying that this thing will solve all your problems. And I was reminded of, um, I follow this guy, it's at Human Transit on Twitter. So this tweet was about um, how a lot of marketing is very based on scarcity. Uh, this is an ad for like a fast lane for cars. So you zoom past all those other inferior people who are getting in your way. Um, and later on, he points out that it wouldn't work if everyone got on the fast lane. Because if everyone was on the fast lane, it would be just as congested as the highway. Right. It's just another lane at that point. So a good quick question to ask if you're looking at some sort of marketing or some sort of concept is, would that thing that I'm being pitched work if everyone else got on board? Um, Which also helpfully eliminates pyramid schemes. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Always good to have a heuristic that eliminates pyramid schemes. (laughs) But it doesn't take out the light phone. I don't think they're expecting it to, but if everyone went out and bought a light phone... Their Wait. supply chain would probably have problems, but... Yeah, right. Theoretically, at least, it would still work. Mm-hmm. The benefits um, that you get from a light phone are not decreased by someone else having it. It depends on what you're getting it for. I can totally imagine someone getting it and saying, Oh, you're still using uh, smartphones? Yeah, you're addicted to those. Uh, look at my fancy light phone. I barely use it at all, and I'm just loving my life. Excuse me while I eat the stick of kale and put it... <laughs> in, uh, <laughs> I, and so... Anyway, okay, that's not the point, it, though. It didn't yeah. feel like what they were yeah. trying to market to you was you will be better than all of those iPhone people when you get your e-ink display. I, I think that is what they're trying to do, though, just not in that way. I think it, this is marketed to you as a... It is as a life improvement thing, mm-hmm. but very few people are like you, Zach, and say to themselves, gosh, I am addicted to my phone. They say... I that's not what I I would be believing from all of so there's so there's so many articles on why you should put your phone in monochrome no that's that's why people are you arrived on that on that conclusion on your own though what those articles are doing is saying they're suggesting it to you right so Mm -hmm. 
hold up, you're addicted to your phone. Like, they're telling you that you are and you should do this. Okay. And that's what the vibe I'm getting from Light Phone as well, which is, look at those dirty uh, smartphone people uh, kissing with their eyes open on their phone. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you want to be better than them? Like, your life improvement, they're marketing it as a, still as a comparison to everyone else. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's just me being cynical, but yeah. <laughs> do we do? Do you mind if I try and also approach it from a holistic place? That really their goal is to get people using. Yeah, go for it. Their smartphones less, because I still have the same the, the same question then. Because then that heuristic doesn't apply. It doesn't it doesn't decrease your experience if someone else uses it. But I think that the the quick fix is then the inherent problem to it mm -hmm. because it's not a bad idea but if the reason that you want to get it is because they told you you're having a problem yeah that might be another and zach you you might actually do well with the light phone like you might have the willpower to say no i don't want to go back to a smartphone i don't want to go look at twitter i don't want to go to instagram oh god but i do i know you do and <laughs> But if you had the light phone, it would take away, like, the, uh... Temptation? It definitely wouldn't take away the temptation, but it would make the temptation a lot harder to achieve. Mm hmm Like, you would have to go buy a phone. But that's a big leap. Like, yeah. that's not just, well, maybe just five minutes of Instagram. Mm hmm I'll download it and then I'll delete it. It's fine. Yeah. Um, so, for someone like you who is actively seeking something like this to do with their phone like i know you're not because you still have instagram and twitter on your phone and you still like are doing this but you also recognize that it's a problem but not a problem that mm -hmm. you're trying to solve super hard <laughs> yeah um might be okay but i think for most people who are like oh man maybe i am addicted to my phone mm -hmm. they're gonna get this in their hand say nah, i like twitter and go back to their <laughs> smartphone mm-hmm so it shouldn't be a solution to a problem they just told you you had. That's so like that should never be a product. I, there should never be a product that that cr that has to suggest a problem to you. Isn't you that like what everyone says about the genius of Steve Jobs? Is that's the line about Steve Jobs' marketing skill? Is he sold no, you things saying, you didn't even know you wanted? That if you can do it, it's a fantastic way to make money. <laughs> I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that if you have the opportunity to. Because it will make you a lot of money because people don't know what problems they have. So they just assume they have these problems if you tell them they do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's much better to have a product that solves a problem that people are actively seeking a solution for. And at the moment, no one is seeking a solution for this problem. Besides a very small subset of mm -hmm. the people seeing this video. All right. And now, a PSA from The Worrying Bugs. Don't talk to your professor while on drugs you haven't had in a while. This is Ben, a PSA from The Worrying Bugs. Let me guess. I don't drink... Okay. Oh, I feel like I just kind of gave it away. Yeah. Oh, I was going to go with speedballs. <laughs> what are speedballs? I'm pretty sure it's cocaine and heroin mixed. I'm not oh, entirely sure about that. Let me check. I also have not had those in a while, but I did not try to talk to my professor. Let's see. Yep, it's a mixture of cocaine and heroin powder. Okay, you learn something new every day.
Heroin can be replaced with morphine. You can take it intravenously or by encephalation, by injecting or snorting. Thank you, Wikipedia. <laughs> what are speedballs? Don't worry, it's for a homework assignment. <laughs> so, was that your guess? No, I was going to say caffeine. Yeah. I do drink caffeine, but usually it's tea, which is just enough to kind of boost me up in the morning and stuff. But um, I had like a espresso latte and not much to eat. So I was basically exclusively running on caffeine. <laughs> and I was good. Like I got I banged out a whole homework assignment. Yeah. Sitting at the cafe. And then I went to go talk to the professor about it. And I was like, hey, how's it going? And then I heard myself and I was like, oh, no, I need to back out of this situation right now. And he was like, hi, what's up? And I was like, hi, can I talk to you about this assignment? And he was like, uh, did you schedule a time? So at least I had a chance to cool down before like whatever scheduled time he had available. But um, I one of the best feelings I have, uh, like I love caffeine. It's one of my favorite things. And mm -hmm. I make I occasionally make half-hearted attempts to uh, consume less of it, but it's not for the for health purposes. It's for uh, being able to consume more caffeine later. <laughs> like I, if I if I have a ton of caffeine right now, uh, a little bit of caffeine won't work later. Yeah, is the idea. So if I have a little bit now, I can drink more later and have the same and have a bigger effect. Mm -hmm. Like that's the reason I cut back on caffeine occasionally, not because I actually <laughs> want to be healthier about it. Um, it's just so it keeps working. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but my uh, my attempts at cutting back usually work, so it, it's not that until bad. you build the tolerance back up. Exactly, and then I cut back, and then I build it back up again. Yeah, it works fine. Yeah, drugs they're poison, so including caffeine so and sugar and anything you consume it changes your body chemistry it's what it does speaking of chemistry people discover things in the chemistry field sometimes uh i i ran across a interesting philosophical uh discussion the other day and it was what would you sign your name on if you could any uh document discovery invention could be the original author mm -hmm. and your name okay. throughout history what would it so what would it be um so i first saw this question and i pretty quickly figured out that i had a few categories of why i would um notoriety just like oh man there's the guy like who signed the declaration of independence or whatever <laughs> royalties like if you're also included on oh nice yeah like the mickey that. mouse pen oh, man. or whatever trademark That'd be quite something. It would be good to have your name signed on that. Um, and, and kind of the same thing for access to otherwise prohibited IP. <laughs> nice. So I think you first posed this question when there was, there was a big debacle about um, uh, the sports, the sports, the Super Bowl, uh, <laughs> one of the Super Bowl games. <laughs> or, uh, one of the they, Super Bowl games? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it like a, a tournament thing? Yeah. It, okay. So... We're going to have some sports trivia now. Um, there, in the National Football League of America, uh, there is one tournament leading up to, and that tournament is called the playoffs. The playoffs lead up to the the final two, well, three rounds, I guess, when there's four teams left, mm -hmm. which will be the um, the conference championships. 
because there are two conferences in the National Football League. There's the National Fo- Football Conference and the American Football Conference. Okay. They're different, I guess. And sure. then the winners of those games play in the Super Bowl. So there is a single Super Bowl game because there it is a distinction that apparently people care about. And I know because I grew up watching it. Okay. So one of the ads for the last Super Bowl, uh, last of the Super Bowl games, <laughs> um, there was a, a car ad that used Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech about like hard work in America. And everybody was up in arms because uh, somebody else recut the ad, but with a Martin Luther King speech about how you shouldn't trust any car ads because <laughs> the the wonderful life they're telling you you will live is just a falsehood. That's funny. So if my voice ever gets used for a car ad, you can recut it with the, the bit from just before about Stephen and I talking about uh, how you shouldn't be solving problems that you just pitched. Gotcha. Um, uh, but anyway, that, uh, that I, IP is, so that's why the intellectual property was on my mind. And then the last one was for fun. So, um, the best combination of them that I could think of, best thing to have my name, uh, signed on, it's a combination of notoriety and fun. Okay. Bitcoin. Oh, nice. <laughs> so it's, it's like this Satoshi Nakamoto guy. That no one can find, no one can discover who Satoshi Nakamoto really is. And then also just some dude from the Midwest. (laughs) Who hosts a podcast and is very well known. (laughs) Very nice. I, you, your suggestions blew mine out of the water. I didn't even have like a specific one. I went the fun route Mm -hmm. uh, and I wanted to sign my name on something that I have no business being an expert in. So, uh... Like, going back to the early days of psychology, like, just some very, very basic but fundamental principles of psychology. I want to put my name on one of those and become, like, after and do that after I have become an expert mathematician or computer scientist. Okay, yeah. Where it's kind of just like, okay, yeah. So, so we're like... Lo- so, into, so uh, psych, psych 101 professor will say, okay, uh, today we're going to be learning about some... Uh, important psychologists um of the early period of psychology uh there was uh freud who did this stuff uh there was was it freud yeah. Yeah. yeah um and then um the dude with the dogs um pavlov pavlov um and then stephen barry i guess he <laughs> he and pavlov did a thing and he <laughs> It was weird because he's a mathematician. We don't really know what he did, but his name's on the thing, so we gotta give him credit. Mm-hmm. I was thinking it could it would be fun to have like Freud Berry dream theory, mm. just like to have your name stuck to to <laughs> one of the fundamentals like that. That would be fun too. Like basically, I want to be and the answer to an extra credit question on in a gen ed, gen ed class. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So Zach. One of the things we said we would do over a year ago on our first episode was tell stories from our lives and say, I'm not sure if this was on the podcast or just privately between us, but I distinctly remember saying <laughs> like, you know, it would be fun if we like told stories from like Cirrus and from working at RBSD. And we have done basically none of that. We've told one story from work, I think. And it was the, um, the cart story. Yeah. So, I don't remember that agreement. It sounds it like a agreement. thing I would have agreed to. But yeah, we 
we just basically have done none of it, and I want to bring that kind of thing back. So uh, today I'm going to be telling a story from last summer when I went to the Milwaukee Pride Fest. Pride Fest or okay. just Pride? Pretty sure it's just Pride. Pride Festival. Pride Fest. Yeah. Oh yeah, because everything in Milwaukee is fest because it's the summer fest place. So oh, everything right, right. else is fest. So Milwaukee Pride everything. Fest. Everything. Uh, Except for Anime Con. That's a con. <laughs> okay, so I can do the preface for this story. I know actually very little about it besides that it happened. Um, but I also know that Steven is straight to the best of my knowledge. It's um, true. I admit it. But many, many girls through Steven's lives have not been. <laughs> uh, Singular life. Just one life. Many girls. One life. I think I accidentally pluralized life there. Uh. <laughs> anyway, I was invited to go with them to uh, Pride Fest in Milwaukee last summer. And it was a blast. It was mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Um, just lots of wandering around, seeing what's going on. Um, watched a drag show. I... Uh, saw furries dancing on a stage and it was just fun you know just yeah watching people be happy and also being happy myself it's loud music dancing mm-hmm. it's not like i was just there loitering and watching everyone <laughs> i was participating just having fun staring yeah <laughs> uh and if i remember correctly i wasn't able to go because i had work yeah and also because you didn't tell me you went uh, that's probably correct i'm pretty i'm pretty sure that I said, hey, let me know when you're going to Pride Fest. And three days later, you said, oh, yeah, I went to Pride Fest. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, this isn't, this isn't like a story kind of story, but it was, it was a funny thing that happened. Um, so it was, it was during the drag show. Um, mm-hmm. There's loud music. People are dancing. I am also dancing. And I see, I saw two guys dancing over there. One wearing a white speedo angel wings and a halo (laughs) and the other wearing uh devil horns a red speedo and a pitchfork and the one wearing the angel outfit came over by me while i was watching the show and started put his hand on my thigh and as he passed me went up my leg across my chest and touched my face at the end before looking behind over his shoulder and walking (laughs) away and i was like that was interesting that happened. It was just kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happened after that really surprised me, though, because I was uh, while I was watching the angel walk away, the devil came up behind me, did the same thing, but on my <laughs> other side, and walked the other direction. <laughs> oh my god! And I was just so like out of it at that point. I didn't really know what was going on. Did they plan that, or did they just see each other do it and just silently agree to do it? Mm-hmm. Or was it completely independent? Who knows? <laughs> Alright, so I have some stories, too, that I could tell, but I um, I thought of them in the context of our book club book, which is Surely You're Joking, Mr. Feynman, and um, so... I figure we'll get into that and I can tell some of the stories. I am worried now that I am hyping up these stories too much. I really don't remember all of my notes for that. So maybe they're just like two line stories. In any case, if you aren't reading along with us and don't want to hear those stories, then you can catch me on Twitter. I'm at the puns guy. And I'm at not Stephen Barry. And Zach, we have one more thing before we go into the book club. Right, you are. Uh, This week we have... 
a bit of poetry for our listeners. And me as well. I I also get to enjoy this poetry. Okay, so I, I've selected a Latin poem, or an excerpt from one. Like a traditional Latin poem. Yeah, a Roman, uh, ancient Roman poem. Mm-hmm. It's an excerpt from the Eclostus by Virgil. Okay. And what I have done is taken that excerpt, replaced one of the words with Patreon, and retranslated it. <laughs> so, if you don't want to hear us talk about Patreon, you can skip this. I'm going to make it a separate chapter. <laughs> Here's how it goes. Nunquam hodi effugis, winiam quocumque ocari. Odiet haec tantum, vel qui veniet ecce Patreon. Efficam postac ne quemquam voce lecestas. So what's the general mood of the poem? What's it getting across? So it, it's hard to tell context uh, because I'm, I have basically no experience in classics. And I have no idea what's going on in the story. <laughs> but um, I can just read the uh, excerpt and we can interpret it how we want. Sure. Out then with what you have, I shall not shrink, nor budge for any man, only do you, neighbor Patreon, with your whole heart's skill, for it is no slight matter play your part. Alright. So, that first bit is saying, accuse me of what you want, uh, whoever I'm talking to, I, I'm not going to back down from these accusations, I'm going to answer them, uh, mm-hmm. nor will I budge for any man, you do that, only do you, uh, Neighbor Patreon, that's a evocative, a, uh, I replaced Patreon with the name of someone, ah, which I okay. think is, it might be cheating in this case, because <laughs> it made it a lot easier to translate, but he's saying, my neighbor, Patreon, which is not Patreon, mm-hmm. uh, with your whole heart skill, so come at me with everything you got, your whole okay. heart skill, for it is no slight matter of, for it is no slight matter, play your part, so... It's not a small deal. This is a big deal. So come at me with all you got. Play your part. All right. So if you like that, and if you like what we do, you can da- uh, support us on Patreon. Dance on over. Dance around the dead horse over <laughs> to Patreon and support us. Thank you. And now for our book club. Okay, so we we started this book, and I guess we're going to talk about it Mm -hmm. now (laughs) what are you it doesn't seem to have much of like a total narrative structure so so far what are you thinking about the book uh i'm liking it so far like more than i thought i would um Mm -hmm. usually i'm not a fan of the memoir style but this is pretty entertaining yeah um my first note is on page 16 of the kindle edition and where Feynman, young Feynman, uh invents a burglar alarm Mm-hmm. I was wondering, like, I remember trying to invent things as a kid and failing miserably when they, yeah. just giving up when they didn't work. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering if you had any similar experiences. Yeah, so I actually, I was thinking the same thing, and he kind of touched on it later on, that he feels like the miniaturization of all the electronics has made things feel harder to get into. Mm. And I think it has been brought up, like in the engineering program at my school, that there aren't as many people who want to get into the internals of a computer because that's some weird magic electron stuff that I don't want to have to deal with. Or, yep. <laughs> Did you ever like have a workshop like that? Um, not really. At some point, I liked to try to make things with, um. Uh, Arduinos. I tried mm-hmm. like 
automating some things and having fun with that, but it never went beyond like a fun hobby. Mm-hmm. And not even that, really. It was uh, more of an exploratory thing. Yeah, I think this was too for him. I I was more asking about the setup. Where did you make oh. the Arduino? Well, that all happened in like the the office of my house, I guess. It was mm-hmm. it's just a place with a desk. <laughs> I didn't have like a, a place that was my own. Mm-hmm. Although I certainly tried to. I tried to claim it. It did <laughs> not work well. Yeah, yeah. I was just using. My dad had like a little woodworking shop, and so I would go out there, and I think I got a soldering iron for my grandpa once. So I would just like desolder things and take them all apart, which is what you hear about. <laughs> you hear about the like important engineers who took apart clocks in their spare time or whatever. Um, I usually and, hear about and, them when they put them back together at the end. Yeah, and so I figured I could be like that, but I never like knew how to resolder anything back together. <laughs> That's funny. I think I was using lead-based solder, too, without knowing it, so maybe that explains a little bit about me. <laughs> um, another story um, I just thought of when you said solder. I, mm-hmm. My freshman year of, uh, of high school, I, uh, most of the listeners know this, but I, we, Zach and I went to a charter school. Uh, he was a sophomore at the time, but my first major project was this uh, 8x8 LED cube <laughs> and... Basically, we, we the the idea was to make a cube out of LEDs, and you would just solder all the LEDs together in a certain way that mm-hmm. that wouldn't require any extra structure except for the 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 leads of the of of the diode, I guess. Yep. And we spent a lot of time around solder fumes, and we usually kept the kept the door <laughs> shut because people didn't like the solder fumes. But mm-hmm. so we were just kind of sitting, breathing in solder fumes for oh, I don't know three months every day <laughs> no, no uh every day for three months we didn't have like a any sort of ventilation mm-hmm. so because they do make those little like solder fans that you yeah. probably could have asked someone to get if you knew yeah that no they, they have existed. them in the school that's how <laughs> I, not in cirrus but in the larger school yeah <laughs> it was ridiculous and we didn't know any better i i do now and i regret that but mm-hmm did you ever have like a? I had a snap together circuits kit. I did have one of those. Um, mm-hmm. Never really got into it. I I don't think because it didn't do all the things I wanted it to do. Like I could understand how circuits work at that mm-hmm. point in my life. I could figure out why the light bulb was lighting up without yeah. the circuit set. <laughs> like and any more complicated circuits were. Mm-hmm. You didn't. You didn't want to actually read the thing and understand how resistors worked and yeah, exactly. snap some resistors in. Because yeah, I I also had one of those and it was very similar. I could get like three things going at once with a D cell battery, and mm-hmm. then it kind of lost its luster because well, you're what, limited. What do you do and, now? Yeah, yeah, and also it feels weird if everything is just laid out in front of you. Mm-hmm. Um, which is I think why uh, at least partially like you and i like uh we got into computers at an early age because they could do things and mm-hmm. they didn't have like a set number of things you could do with them like those like that kind of kit did yeah it didn't have instructions like i remember my first experience with programming was figuring out that you could make batch files mm-hmm. in uh in notepad and making like a little text adventure game <laughs> It was it was it was like you know two minutes long, but it yeah. was like 
it was still fun and there was no instructions on how to do it so it was even more fun and even more to make it even more fun than that i knew there was a lot more this thing could do mm-hmm. that i just didn't know how to do yet and some of it you could like plug into automator and do it mostly with automator for the stuff you didn't know how to do and then yeah i mean it was windows at the time but yeah later on yeah. yeah i i didn't get into computers really either until i got a mac because um i wanted to get minecraft working oh and it nice. wasn't working on this computer and i didn't know what to do so like i went out to some forum somewhere and they said oh you got to download the lightweight games library and fix the jar file so i went in and i did and i got it fixed and i got it running um, and then later on, I figured out that there was a modding community for Minecraft. So there were people who were yeah. changing how the game worked. And I figured that that's, that can't be too hard. It's just computers. Um, <laughs> and that's why I went into college with the knowledge of Java that I did is because I basically over like three years did a Java level one learning mm-hmm. thing. But without any formality of any sort, it was just different web tutorials because someone said you needed to understand Java if you were ever going to mod Minecraft. Right. Yeah, I think most of my, like, unfortunately, most of my, like, practice making logical systems, I guess, Mm -hmm. programming, I guess, was via JavaScript because I like to make websites Mm -hmm. a lot. And which is just, ugh, don't do not learn programming with JavaScript. It's not a good idea. I was trying um, to explain to someone why I didn't like Node.js and I was having a hard time because they weren't like they didn't understand why JavaScript was weird. So they didn't mm-hmm. understand why Node.js put me off so much. So, yeah, it, but thankfully I got into um, at, at some point someone told me like or I read on the Internet that JavaScript was a... a a noob language, I guess. Mm. And if you want to be a real, a, a real programmer, <laughs> you got to learn. You got to learn C and C plus plus and uh, Java. And I, so I saw those names and I said, okay, well, C plus plus has to be better than C, so I'll just <laughs> learn that. <laughs> um, and I made it like I made a little hello world in C plus plus and did not like it very much. Because it was hard, mm-hmm. and JavaScript was not hard, so I went back to JavaScript <laughs> for a while, got into iOS apps, so learned Objective-C, so, and then Swift. Swift is beautiful. I love Swift. Okay, enough about us. Back to Richard Feynman. Uh, he talked about how he made his own symbols and uh, notation for math, mm-hmm. and I like his system a lot better, because he's right. The, it adds a lot of, like... What what do you think, what would you assume, not knowing any math, cosine, uh, inverse cosine means? Like yeah. that symbol, uh, cosine to the power of negative one X, mm-hmm. you would assume it's one over cosine, because yeah. that's just what makes sense. I have terrible handwriting, so I basically need to write it out as arc cosine. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. That's it. I just want to say that it was a good idea, and we should adopt that, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> You got to figure out how to do mirror writing, and then you can write cosine one way, and then you can mirror it. (laughs) Near the beginning of String Beans, uh, Feynman says something to the tune of, or no, not to the tune of, I'm reading directly. Why did I say to the tune of? The world is full of this kind of dumb, smart Alec who doesn't understand anything. And I was thinking, oh, oh, ho, ho. And then I started thinking, wait, this is Richard Feynman writing this. The guy who, like... (laughs) 
this is a running theme for me uh, in this book where mm-hmm. I like, wow, that was kind of a uh... condescending. Yeah, that was condescending and not very nice. But then I'm like, you know, he's orders of magnitude smarter than I am. <laughs> he gets to be a little condescending, I think. Mm-hmm. And but even to like other graduate students, he was just uh, later in the book. He uh, he pokes fun at mathematicians for only proving uh, obvious uh, or what do you, what term trivial. did he use? Trivial theories, theorems, and he had the system to like cheat their little guessing game Mm -hmm. and and yeah it was super condescending and not very like it wasn't like a fair thing but who who cares (laughs) you know he's just proven a point Mm -hmm. um i'm into part two now part whoa really yeah i didn't have very much for part one okay i've got some more than following um and then he started talking about his uh, his college experiences and when he moved in with the fraternity. Um, and I actually, I just got done listening to the Elon Musk biography. Oh, yeah. How was that? It was good. It it was hard to separate what I thought of Elon Musk and the way that he perpetuates like late stage capitalism. <laughs> it was hard for me to separate the dislike of that and the how I felt about the book. Um, but I think really the book was written well and read well. Um, but it it also focused around this guy who grew up um, reading, just reading the encyclopedia, which is something that Feynman did in here. And it's also something that Elon Musk did. They talk about mm-hmm. it a lot that he was, he just has this base of knowledge to build stuff on. And it seems like there's this cultural fascination with young boys reading the encyclopedia. Yeah. And it, and I think, I don't know, I think you can draw parallels to a lot of, we have like this genius, uh, up and co- this young genius kind of story mm-hmm. where like, oh yeah, he was gifted s- since birth and that's great. Um, he just sat up in his room reading the encyclopedia instead of having fun. <laughs> like that kind of a stereotypical kind of, um, this is how you make a genius. Yeah. And, and I think if you like, and I don't know. I have no idea, but it seemed, I think you could point to something like that in just about anyone's life. Reading the encyclopedia? Mm, Not reading the encyclopedia specifically, but like, uh, you could say like, um, making silly batch files when, or trying to understand Java just to do a Minecraft mod. Okay. These are all things that like... The typical person wouldn't do, but since you care a little bit, you would. Mm-hmm. But everyone everyone cares a little bit more yeah. about something than the base population. But it's you were yeah, metal working at five if you grow up to be a machinist or something, you know, whatever yeah, you know, that story is. Like, his dad taught him how to, uh, how to use a screwdriver at age uh, two months, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, he's... <laughs> um, Almost everyone has something like that that you can point to. Every field. Sure. And I'm... Yeah. So I think it's a, some sort of fallacy that we, mm-hmm. that this kind of book perpetuates. But that's totally cool. It's still entertaining. Yeah. I, I think that you're allowed to critique a book and still enjoy it, Stephen. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> I just want to make myself clear that I'm not saying that the book shouldn't have done this. Mm-hmm. It's just that this is a common thing that we hear about 
in biographies and memoirs of uh, scholars and geniuses and yeah people of that nature. And it's not necessarily specific to that type of person. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. My next note was uh, they just... He he had just written about how, like, oh, I went into the diner and they were always rushed and always stressed and always seemed to be having a hard time. So God, I made no. their lives harder by covering the uh, table in water but making it seem like it was their fault that the table was covered in water because I'm the asshole who flipped the cup upside down, but it's their fault because they picked it up. Service workers have a hard enough time already. And then he, like, explains how to solve the puzzle without making the table wet as if it's like the most obvious thing in the world but he just knew the trick mm -hmm. and then it's like um, and then it's he, like then he the... makes fun of them for doing the trick next time he leaves it even though the cup was empty yeah what do you think is gonna happen like this is just basic like oh this happened once it'll probably happen again this they're learning this is a good thing You're not, you shouldn't make fun of them for it <laughs> pattern recognition yeah oh the flip the cup over i better try the stupid little trick he made fun of me for not <laughs> using oh got me again that darn fineman but it's still a very good book <laughs> no the book was well written but gosh richard fineman was a jerk well and even most of the stories he comes out neutral if mischievous but some of them mm-hmm um then i'm at uh, he was talking about his notes on escape and how he kind of got out of writing some essays have you ever done that like written an essay that was definitely not the prompt but the teacher said all right good enough i understand that you didn't want to write that essay um not that i can remember um if I did do that, I definitely didn't get the, okay, I understand what you're trying to do here. They're like, you didn't answer the prompt. Mm -hmm. You get an F. Because I, I remembered as I was reading this that like when I was in ninth grade, we had to write our own little mini memoirs about our life, like a fun, interesting story that happened or like a challenge we'd faced. And I was like, the biggest challenge I've faced is having to write freaking all these <laughs> challenge I've faced. I'm in ninth grade. None of my life. I, I don't know. <laughs> and it like it got a 95 or whatever. It was good enough. It, I think he mostly just wanted to prove that we understood basic grammar and was more worried about other people. <laughs> um and and so sure, freshman year of high school, whatever, you can write one of those little escape essays. The thing is, I also freshman year of college wrote an essay that was, it was to the prompt, but it was, um, we were talking about like, it was a class about place and neighborhoods and stuff. And I wrote an essay. He said we had to come up with really good thesis, theses for the whole class. And so my final thesis uh, was after looking at different aspects of this neighborhood, what, um, like where this one guy fit into it. And I said that he fit into it as kind of the, the reincarnation of this other guy who played a big part in the neighborhood in the past. So two influential people in the neighborhood. That's really the only conclusion I was drawing. Mm -hmm. And I explained that to him and he was like, oh, so it's like, he's like the second coming of Charles Whitnell. <laughs> and I said, yeah, because he was my professor and I wasn't about to disagree with him. And then I was talking with somebody else in the class and they were like, I was talking with that professor. And he said you were doing a piece on how Vince Bushel is Jesus or like Jesus or something. 
<laughs> so I ended up doing an essay on how Vince Bushel was like Jesus. And it was like two pages short of the minimum requirement, but it got a decent grade because I did exactly what he said about theses because I tried to prove that Vince Bushel was Jesus. <laughs> this is the best. Yeah. Uh, study tips from... Not study tips. Uh, school tips from CGP Grey. Uh, do what the teacher wants you to do. <laughs> That's something you take away. I, this reminds me of... Um, Again, during high school, we were required to write a journal of what we learned that day because it was hard for the teachers to keep track of all of us because we're all on our own doing separate things without any supervision. Mm -hmm. So the journal was a way for us to reflect and a way for the teachers to keep track of us. Um, but I despised it. I, I thought it was a waste of my time. And look at me now. I'm writing a journal every day and I'm saving them all. Uh, but I would write the bare minimum of the requirements mm -hmm. and it said like the examples were what's something you did today what's something you wish you could have done today you you wanted to get to but didn't what did uh is there anything you need help with is uh are there any personal things that are bothering you um i can't remember what the other ones were but mm -hmm. i w so i would do that i would say i worked on blank project I got all the things done I wanted to do. I don't need any help, and I have no personal issues that need addressing. Mm -hmm. So those four sentences, I would write that every day. <laughs> and every day, I would get a little note in my journal saying, looking for a little bit more than this. <laughs> and every day, I would say, no, I'm not going to do more than this, because this is what I'm required to do. Eventually, uh, my grade for journaling... We had like a, an extra like credit for advisory. The mm -hmm. and part of that was journaling. Yeah, it was like started... the administrative keeping track of all of the students in this weird school that we have. Yeah, credit that grade. <laughs> and so she starts the the teacher starts marking me down from the like the perfect score technically to the one less than perfect st score, mm -hmm. but it's on a three point scale, so it's zero for not doing it, one for doing it very poorly, two for just this mediocre thing, you didn't get all the parts done, and three for this is what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. so, so I start getting twos on the journal, and I'm like, uh, I really can't be getting a B in administrative tasks because that's <laughs> kind of unacceptable. It's so uh, so I say like, hey, what, what in high school I'm was like all administrative tasks. That was your thing. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> so what gives? Like, I'm doing the requirements. And she says, well, no, because part of that is... Uh, caring about it? Caring about it, yeah. <laughs> this is supposed to be reflecting for you. It's not supposed to just be, can you? how quickly can you write down four sentences mm -hmm. and put it, in a put it in a basket? And so I... I resisted a little bit longer, but eventually I had to give in because she had the power in the situation. Okay, but you didn't give in quietly. No, no, I did not. I demanded um, a rubric de detailing exactly what I had to do, like the bare minimum for a three. Mm -hmm. And I did it every day until it was given to me. <laughs> my, my classmates were kind of fed up with me. and that was, I, think, I feel like that was a flagpole moment for the school, though. What do you mean? I, I don't know. I feel like we talked about you demanding a rubric for that assignment. Much like disproportionate to how much time <laughs> it actually took out of our day. Yeah. Um, 
And then, and you, yeah, and then go ahead. And then you did start doing it, which maybe you were about to say this, and you can definitely tell the story if you were. Yeah, and then I start doing it better. Not actually, actually, no. I try to do the minimum for the three, mm-hmm. but part of the three was like creativity. Yeah, and that was specifically for me, so I didn't just do the bare minimum. <laughs> So I had to start getting creative with it, which was actually really good for me. I so I started writing it in uh, like abstract, I guess. Mm-hmm. It, I wanted it's in the style of Welcome to Night Vale. Mm-hmm. It was it was metaphor and um, hyperbole, yeah, hyperbole and a little bit of like political satire in our very small political universe of <laughs> yeah the advisors that we were railing against. Yeah, it, and it was actually a lot of fun. It, got, it gave me a chance to like vent my issues without directly saying, "Hey, I think you're doing this wrong, and you're doing it badly." Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, I don't think anything actually ever changed in regard to what I was complaining about <laughs> via metaphor. But I was stubborn. <laughs> I should have just done the thing for a scientist, like a guy who has devoted his life to science and the scientific method. He had so much anecdotal evidence about psychology. <laughs> and then we're on to part two. My first highlight is about the experiment he did with the um, the spinning sprinkler thing. Mm-hmm. And whether or not if you sucked in underwater, which direction it would turn. And he made the thing explode or something. Yeah. Maybe I missed it, but... We, did we get to know the results of that experiment? No. Because I'm really curious now. Spinning water sucker thing. Sprinkler pipe. If you look up Feynman sprinkler pipe. Sprinkler question. Okay, it's called a Feynman sprinkler. The problem did not originate with Feynman, nor did he publish a solution to it. <laughs> What's the answer? Solution... It does not behave like the other played backwards from skimming. So it goes the same direction that it would if it was uh, if it was pushing water out. It will not turn. Oh, when made to suck in surrounding fluid. It is now understood, however, that an ideal reverse sprinkler will accelerate backwards toward the incoming fluid as the suction is switched on and will come to a stop as the suction is switched off. It will not experience any torque in its steady state. I don't I don't know what any of this means. I'm just reading I, verbatim from it, Wikipedia. Okay, so you've said three things so far. You've said it it doesn't go backwards, it stays still, and it does go backwards. Which are the three options, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Most experimental setups fail uh, because the torque required, or the, the torque provided, is less than the friction of the bearing. Oh, okay. But if so, you had a perfectly frictionless bearing, I think it would accelerate opposite of what it would if it was spitting out water. Okay. But for all practical purposes, it won't move. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Do you have any more for the Surely You're Joking Mr. Feynman chapter? I don't have anything to cat map. Okay. He talks a little bit about hypnosis. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is your feeling on hypnosis, Zach? Like, what... I've been very unsuccessful in being hypnotized. The couple times that I've tried, it just doesn't. Um, okay. I get like a, I don't know, an autonomic stress response, I suppose, that my brain says everything is the wrong size. Um, it happens sometimes when I'm going to sleep, too. 
and I've got, I just have to, like, sometimes I'll just envision a really large thumb taking up my whole field of vision, and I can see all of the the patterns of it and stuff. I have never heard of that. That's really interesting. It's it's, um, a couple levels past when you're about to fall asleep, and then in your dream, you trip over and you wake up. Okay, so it's that same, okay. But interesting yeah a couple levels up because your body goes oh my god there's a huge thumb right next to me i'm freaking out it's dangerous for some (laughs) reason and so you need to open your eyes to confirm that your surroundings are the same as they were before right so anyway that means that it's very hard for me to get hypnotized but i think what he says sounds accurate to what i've heard yeah i've never attempted it um i know a little bit from a little bit of research i've done and it seem and yeah, it's. I have to assume that what he's saying is true. I up until like, I don't know, uh, my senior year of high school, I was just completely against hypnosis. I did not mm-hmm. believe it was a thing that people could actually do. It was a stage thing. It was a trick. But then, like, if you actually go looking for some evidence for uh, on the contrary, mm-hmm. for for the contrary, to the contrary, to the contrary. Mm-hmm you find it pretty fast like it's a lot of people who've been hypnotized yeah like just it's a it's and it's one of those things like nasa really couldn't have faked the moon landing because that would mean making all those people keep a secret mm-hmm. <laughs> do you uh remember when remember the hypnotist at laconia yeah so was that when you were still doubting it yeah i i was i was at least mildly sure that the people up there were acting hypnotized mm-hmm. and not just a bit more susceptible to yeah I'd, suggestion that's the one that actually had me convinced um just through a couple of things through like one of the girls who i knew from class who was very smart and with it usually mm-hmm. uh and she was hypnotized that she couldn't talk she could only cluck like a chicken <laughs> And then she was brought back out of the hypnosis state and she was asked a question and she clucked and then she looked at the guy like, what just happened? And then she tried like looking at her own mouth like, you have betrayed me. <laughs> and the look on her face, I think, is what did it for me. Nice. And then um, when jumped up and started shouting yeah, too and See, like freaked out at herself. Yeah. See, that's the kind of thing, like, if I was looking for, if I was looking to prove myself wrong at the time, I would have just seen those things and been like, yeah, no, that's probably pretty legit. Mm-hmm. But I was rejecting all of the things that did not fit my hypothesis. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but no, I'm, uh, I'm a believer in the, you don't have to believe, I guess. You just, <laughs> I, I think it is a thing that people are capable of doing to other people and to have done to them. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting, and I yeah. think it's cool. Uh, I'm to map of a cat now. So, the cat map story. Yeah. He starts with a uh, talk about Watson and Crick, two influential scientists who just discovered the spiral pattern of the human genome, which I feel like dates the book in a way. Maybe. I mean, it is a memoir, so I think that's okay. Yeah, and it also dates the dude just the way that he... Because I feel like most people now 
would at least say Watson and Crick, and then in parentheses, oh, and also Rosalind Franklin has a lot to do with that. Uh, I was more focused on when he, <laughs> towards the end, no, not towards the end, towards the end of the cat map story, mm-hmm. where he says to the biology grad students, oh, I say, you do? Then no wonder I can catch up with you so fast after you've had four years of biology. They have wasted all their time memorizing stuff like that when it could be looked up in 15 minutes. And I just wish I had the the audacity to say something like that in, like, my computer science class, for example. Mm-hmm. The amount of times that you need to memorize the complexity of an AVL tree, of, of an insert method of an AVL tree. What the hell is an AVL tree? Exactly. Actually, legitimately, I want to know what's an AVL tree. It's a form of a semi-balanced search tree. Okay. Almost balanced, I guess, is the term we've been using. Um, nearly balanced. Nearly balanced. Um, it's something that you can Google mm-hmm. very quickly. I think knowing is... which is better internally is good. Yeah, that's not what we're learning, though. Yeah. They're not saying, okay, yeah, AVL trees are good for this. Red-black tre- trees are good for this. Um, linked lists are good for this, etc. Mm-hmm. They're saying, oh, the insert complexity is big O of N for, in, for, um, for standard arrays. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that even true? I think it is. Yeah. No. Insert is just constant because you can just stick it in there. Yeah. And put a pointer to the object. See, I know my stuff. <laughs> Maybe for just an array or for an AVL? Because I don't know what an AVL is, but... For just a standard Java array. Yeah, that's constant time. I don't know look up what is... you need to do the pointer for. You, well, you're not you're not sticking the object inside the array. You're putting okay. a pointer in the okay. array to the object, and that's what I was saying. That's why it's constant time, and you're not just you're not move actually moving bits around in the memory. Yeah. Not what we're talking about. No. Anyway, it, the it's something that I anyway the like you can just look this up is something I feel very often mm-hmm. it, it's something that i actually don't feel very often in latin because i totally understand the importance of knowing the stuff off the top of your head mm-hmm. if you want to do it in any amount of time that's reasonable you need to memorize it you can't be looking things up yeah and you need to kind of be able to conceive of it as a system as yeah. all of the parts that fit together he says this summer i'm instead of going to a different place i'll go to a different field mm-hmm and if school wasn't so damn expensive, I would love to do this. It sounds like a fun time. Yeah. Like, just take a few summer courses in something that you don't know very much about. Mm-hmm. And I think there are now, especially with with the internet, you can get a couple books and not get the same depth of it, but get some understanding. And because you're already a student, you at least have the ability to reach out to some bio professor mm. at the school good point so i think it's doable uh, but yeah doing yeah uh so i had a just a weird thought mm-hmm. uh, an idea i guess when he was talking about uh viruses that could attack bacteria yeah uh so you know how we can make like flu viruses in labs yeah what if we designed one that could attack bacteria like strep throat then we just infect a whole bunch of people and then have the vaccination spread on its own <laughs> Good or bad idea? It wouldn't be a vaccination. Well, no, but the vaccine-like thing. Immunity, yeah. Because you just have this virus in you that is constantly attacking bad bacteria. I think they did that with something. Like, they got rid of cancer with 
HIV maybe. Oh, that's uh that's a trade-off there. Yeah, but it was like a modified version of HIV that they used to get rid of cancer. Okay. That's interesting. I I meant it as a joke mostly, mm-hmm. but if it's actually a thing then cool. But yeah, no, I think stuff's being done with it at least. So Monster Minds, he was talking about having to give the speech to all of the different people, to Einstein oh, and... And like short notice too, like it was, mm-hmm. oh, by the way, I invited Albert Einstein to see your presentation. Like, what would you do? What would you do? But I don't, I don't know who I would be that worried about in the computer science field. Uh, Steve Wozniak, Bill Gates, uh... <laughs> I don't know, but you're, you're right. That is not like these they're, are yeah, they're people not who make computer science academia. But but they like it's still a person of high prestige that know a lot about what you're talking about, presumably. Mm-hmm. But computer science just can go places that physics. If you want to continue, maybe you're stuck in. No, that's not true. You can do applied physics outside of schools. Okay, did, did you have more to that note? I kind of interrupted no, you. Yeah, I, I just I kind of want to know who the, the monster minds of computer mm. science are. Or hiding. They are anonymous. Uh, and then mixing paints. I didn't really understand the moral of the story. Uh, yeah, I didn't either. I was, I, I was honestly expecting the moral to be um, that the painter Don't. was like, okay, thanks, I needed some pink paint, and then walk upstairs yeah. and... That's what I thought was going to happen, too. And then my last thought, which I guess we can make as long or as short as we want. Do you think that um, Google has killed some of the same things that, like, that microchip, the miniaturization of computers has? Like, oh, well, what Richard Feynman spent a while, he, he was actually doing experiments on ants. Or do you think that it lets us move on with our lives because we can just Google a thing and then get back to what we... Oh, okay. Um, Because I feel like insisting that Google's bad is antithetical to what he was saying with CadMap. I think that if you can get an understanding with Google, then that's good enough. Mm -hmm. I I don't think looking up a fact is the same as knowing the the fact. Yeah, or understanding why the fact is. Mm -hmm. And I think if you can get that from Google, then I think you're good, and I think Google is a good enough resource for you mm-hmm. but if you can't get that from google you should seek out other sources if you actually need if you actually want to have a understanding a good handle on whatever it is you're talk you're trying to find out all right yeah okay that's all i got uh so some parting thoughts about the first quarter of the book uh i have been enjoying it a lot i i like because in a way, the continuation continuation of his life and saying that, oh, well, then I got older and I needed help with social situations and that kind of thing fights against that boy genius reading the encyclopedia thing because he's more on par with the people around him once he gets older because he had to spend time at college that he could have spent otherwise figuring out how to actually be in social situations. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a good thing, too. Um, I like the character of Richard Feynman that he's that he's developing, whether or not mm-hmm. it's true to his actual person. Yeah. It's fun, and I think that's more important. Not, eh. in, an, in an autobiographical memoir, mm-hmm. I think you're allowed to hyperbolize your personality as much as you want. 
if someone else was writing this, I would say, okay, there's no way he's actually this eccentric. Mm-hmm. But since he's writing it and it's more for entertainment than like a documentation of his life. Yeah then I'm totally cool with that. All right. Well, hopefully his his life will just continue getting interesting, getting more interesting. Um, In the next quarter of the book, we're going to read up to page 199, uh, which is the beginning of the section, O Americano Otra Vez. Vez? Vez? I think it's Spanish. Otra Vez. Well, it's not Latin. No Zs. Good to know. Uh, So read up to that point if you want to read along with us in the book otherwise you can catch me i'm on twitter at the puns guy and i'm at not stephen berry goodbye